Happy New Year's, guys. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and today Travis and I sit down and talk with Tyler Bellman of Midwest Whitetail. We talk about filming for Midwest Whitetail. We talk about postseason scouting and preparations for the upcoming end of season. We talk minerals. We talk scrapes. We talk advantages to scouting in the postseason and how that can lead to success in the following season. We talk about a lot of miscellaneous stuff, and uh, it's good conversation. Tyler's a good dude, and we were happy to have him on. And uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast episode, and we've got a lot of exciting podcasts coming up. I'm really excited to present to you guys as well as this one. So I hope you enjoy, and here we go. All right, we're rolling. Tyler, thanks for being here. It's coming down to the wire here in Missouri. I think we got like, what, 10 days of season left? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They ain't making it easy on me. How's your season been? Uh, tough to say the least. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a grind. It's been good. Um, we've had some really good encounters with really, really good deer, and uh, unfortunately the, the neighbors have had the success, which, you know, they deserve it just as much as I do, so it is what it is. Well, that's that's pretty modest of you, and uh, we, uh, I understand, man. You know, it's nobody's deer. It, it's everybody's, so sometimes you get the chance, sometimes the neighbors do. Yep. It's just yep. one of those things, but uh, for those of you that, for those that don't know you, uh, I know you work for Midwest Whitetail, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been with them, what you do. And uh, what it's like for working working with Bill? Well, um, my full time job I sell equipment at uh, Bowling Green Tractor, Bowling Green, Missouri. But um, we've been with Midwest for probably five years now. Um, my two uh, running buddies, Mitch Malaris and Justin Lubreck. Um, it's been great. Um, you know, as Bill's kind of um, stepped back, if you will, and. Uh, the new guys are starting to take over. Um, the guys at 41 North, uh, they're great friends. Uh, we made some really good friendships over the years, and um, Josh Sparks, Drake Lamb, a lot of those guys that that do the leg room, the leg work for uh, Midwest. It, it's a great group of guys that that go to work every day, and we have the same goal. We have the same hunting style. Um, it's fun. We just uh, there's no uh, you know no strings attached you, you go and you get the footage that you want to get and uh you present it to everybody to see the best that you can and and i know you've easy. had a couple couple good videos on the main channel you and justin and, mm-hmm. and mitch this year so you guys have been killing it the last few years and you know uh overall midwest whitetail has been killing and i know mike just killed <clears> an <throat> absolute stud yep jared's killed some studs out there and I enjoy following along with your crew and and watching what you guys are able to do. So so what you do is basically just you provide know you go content. hunting, yeah, yep. provide the content for them and stuff like that. Yeah, so you know when I was first getting into video, obviously Midwest Whitetail is one of the main shows that I started watching. It was a a digital series where I could go to YouTube and watch it on my own time, and that's kind of what wanted me. You know, kind of what got me going in that direction is that. It wasn't on cable. I didn't have to sit down on TV and watch it at a specific time, and and it was semi live. So it it was 
relative information that I could take to the field each and every time that I was going to the field. And, uh, you know, when I first started kind of talking to Justin and Mitch about wanting to do this, it was, uh, it was a far shot. And then as we went into it, um, it was like, uh, what can we do better? You know, how can we, how can we make ourselves better and, and provide content that people actually want to see? And it just went from there. And, you know, each, each year, each day that we do go to the field, we learn something new. Um, if it's how to run a camera, if it's, if it's how to hunt a specific deer, if it's what to say, what not to say, uh, you know, there's so much that goes into it that we overlooked as we first started jumping into it. But, um, it's been good. Yeah. It's been fun. Well, but I, I really like the point you make about damn near live. I mean, like you guys will have a hunt and sometimes it'll be posted at midnight that night. You know, <clears> you guys are on the ball and, uh, that's what I loved about Midwest Whitetail. You can go right to the website and, and, uh, watch those videos as they happen. And so it kind of keeps you in the game. And if you're hunting close to some of these guys, <clears> you can kind of figure out what's going on in your area <clears> and cool stuff like that. But, uh, just out of curiosity, since I'm trying to get into the media side of hunting, uh, what setup are you running for videos? So we, you know, we, we get asked this question a lot, and the advice that I give to people each and every time, um, save your money and get something that's going to last. Because for me, um, you know, I, whenever I entered into it, I was a college student, and uh, I try to take shortcuts. And what that ended up getting me into was... I always got stuff I didn't need, you know, so I was trying to take a shortcut and then I was trying to take, you know, two more steps. And for one, I was, you know, I didn't have money. I was in college. So, um, save your money and get things that are relevant in the video world. So for us, uh, you know, we have one main setup and we have a backup setup. So our main setup is a Canon XF 400. Um, it shoots uh, 4k at 60 frames, uh, kind of gives that dslr look i mean it's a great great camera it does eat the batteries up but um that's our big main camera so that's what that's what our kills are going on you know our main camera uh we run multiple gopros as second third angles and then i have a panasonic gh5s which is also what we do all our b-roll some interviews a lot of the fancy stuff the artistic side of things um and it seems like a lot to pack around but uh really it's it's easy just get a nice camera yeah. bag and and you got it huh? uh yeah i mean we majority of the stuff we carry in the the gh5s it goes around my you know goes around my neck or the cameraman's neck whoever the other stuff um you know we carry in a, a muddy tree base a tree arm and so that can be strapped to the back of your backpack so a lot of the b-roll stuff on the way in you know the slow motions the walk in all that shot off the GH5S. Obviously, the GoPros are in your bag, um, and you get in a system with the people that you hunt with. So, um, for us, as crazy as it sounds, it's hard to get somebody to fill in that's on the same page as you. As as a hunter, um, in the back of your mind at all times, you're wondering, "What's my cameraman doing?" I'll be on the same page, and uh, the more you hunt with the same people multiple times, it gets easier. So, um, I can't cover it all. I, I could ramble and go on and on, but get oh, a good, great, yeah, get a good group of, of guys that you, that you want to grind with and, uh, get on the same page 
and you learn. You know, I mean, it's it's as simple as when we put our muddy base up, we grab a ratchet strap, and we've learned how to run the ratchet strap silently, putting our fingers inside the ratchet strap to prevent the clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's almost like a system. Okay, we get in the tree. Let's pull pull our camera stuff up. Get our tree base set. Get our main camera on there. Now we need to get our bow up just in case something quick happens. The kill's there. The bow's there. We got that down. Okay, then let's sit up second angle. Let's sit up third angle. And then you start rolling into interviews and, and doing, you know, leaves blowing, planes going over, you know, all, all the B-roll stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's a never-ending thing, and you really looking from the outside in, you don't think that much goes into it. But uh, when you get in a system and you record the same thing every single time, it kind of gets monotonous. Because you are doing the exact same thing over and over and over, even though you may not be using that footage, you can't paint a picture as well with recreates as if you did it in real time. And that was one thing that we kind of struggled with was, we'll do it later. We can mm-hmm. recreate it. Is that something that you recommend people uh, like practice beforehand and just go out with your buddies and kind of set up a system like and practice it a few times maybe even during the summer i know like we practice you know at least like bird hunting Mm -hmm. shooting or or like what our plans are for the next year and then you know sometimes we'll recreate that and just practice it so that whenever that time comes you know you're on the ball Mm -hmm. um if you really want to get good with the camera Use it all the time and use a bird hunt. Because if if you want to see how hard it is to film a duck hunt, a bird hunt, a turkey hunt, that's what's going to sharpen your skills. I mean, a deer, for the most part, a deer's either on a trail or they're working together. Mm -hmm. Bird hunting. Yeah, no, they're they're coming in everywhere sometimes. And then sometimes, you know, you got a lot of lulls. But, yeah, no, I I totally understand that because... Half the time in turkey season, you'll be set up one way and they'll yep. circle yeah. around and come in another way. So mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine how difficult that will well, be. You know, Travis, I've been I've been working this whole whole season. 2020 <clears throat> fall just trying to learn the camera, run the camera a little bit, shoot some deer hunting, some waterfowl, and yeah. just getting my you know just kind of figuring out that system you were talking about how to, how to get up get set up in in the mm-hmm. tree before it's time to to actually start hunting mm-hmm. and like you said man i had so many times where i wouldn't i would have unfinished hunts you know <clears> what i mean i'd i would just be like well nothing happened tonight so i'm not going to close out mm-hmm. or but you got to you got to do that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. and i'm slowly starting to realize it and i'm a little bit stubborn but i totally get what you're saying and and mm-hmm. for you to say that man it's just gonna it's gonna push me to do it even yeah, more no, you've been i i've been keeping up just with what you've been posting on instagram and stuff and you seem to do a pretty good job finishing up a story because i mean everybody knows that not every time you go out is it just going to be a success story i mm-hmm. mean obviously it's more you know failure than success but when people know that you know even you know guys and you know your neck of the woods are not, you know, having succeed or having success every single time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it drives people to go out there more too, you know, yeah. 
especially on like Instagram feeds or or you know, stories. I, yeah, I can't tell you how many times that I've I've watched a Midwest Whitetail video while I'm sitting in my house at like lunchtime, and I'm like, okay, I got this. Got me fired up. I got to go this afternoon because right. I mean, with this late season, you know, it's it's been tough. But um, tonight just so happened that uh, <laughs> the field I've been hunting for the last. I don't know, week or so, not consistently, but on the right times and the right winds. Tonight, I uh, I went ahead and glassed it before I came over, and there's about five different bucks sitting in the field. So <laughs> I'll be I'll be trying to get get on those. But uh, regardless of that, with it being the late season now and and deer season coming to a close, it's <clears throat> it's hard not to look forward to the next season. Uh, Tyler, what what preparations are you making or, or your crew making this time of year to make for a successful season next year? <clears throat> yeah, so, um, well, as far as a storyline deal goes, obviously we're trying to film the next season up-and-coming deer for the most part. We've all been out. We've been trying to kind of take our extra camera setup and view and, and film some of these deer that we're going to be focusing on next year. And then a lot of things that people overlook, um, you know, during these next couple months is the amount of food that these deer have in front of them and the mineral. You know, a lot of times you don't put out mineral until you're worried about getting velvet pictures of these deer. At that point in time, it's too late. The deer have already developed their rack. So um, Justin, my cousin Justin and myself, we've uh, we come out with our own mineral and feed. We call it uh, BBA Mineral Company. And... Uh, you know, last couple of years we thought, you know, we're just putting down rock salt, trace mineral, dicow, the the feed store mix. And uh, he's got a good friend that he works with uh, and talks to that used to raise pen raised deer. And they can get so much of that to benefit their rack. And then there's also other things that they need. So inside of, of our mineral, we took, you know, trace mineral, dicow, rock salt, um, magnesium phosphorus potassium a vitamin pack mineral pack selenium which is a, a disease preventer which is common in hogs and cattle and everything and then uh there's a couple other little knickknacks that we put in there but you know if we're going to give the deer something and it may be very small doses and, and it may make a very small impact but if if we can give them multiple you know anything if we if we can benefit them in any way shape or form we want it to be in front of them so that's what when we come out with the mineral that's what we started with and then this past season this has been the first year that we've started our feed would you recommend putting that uh mineral out like january 16th you put all year long yeah absolutely all year. okay you know and, and as as you transition your cameras from salt licks you pull them off a of salt lick you put it to a scrape because october they're going to be hitting scrapes right you don't pay attention to your salt lick from September, you know, or first of September on. Doesn't mean that they're not hitting it. Do they hit it as much? Absolutely not. But if it is there readily available to them, we feel like they our our eyes aren't on the mineral licks at that point in time, right? We're we're scouting for rut or preseason, uh, pre pre rut. That's what we're focusing on. But if we can keep it there at all times then they can get it when they do need it. So that was kind of our mindset. Let's put everything that they need in one particular area. It's not it's not an attractant, so it doesn't it, it you know, we comply with state and federal laws. It's a mineral. It can be out at all types of season. Now the feed, 
obviously you have to wait till postseason. But um, we start looking at feed numbers, and if you look at Analogics, Perina, all these big feed companies, and you start looking at crude fat, crude fat, protein, all the numbers, they're all relatively the same. And we started putting that together and uh, trying to eliminate expenses to make our deer herd healthy, and that's what we come up with. I, I was given some free mineral last year, and I don't I don't really hunt deer that much. <clears throat> um, this year is going to be the first year that I actually get into it. I mean, I've bow hunted, I've killed plenty of deer, but... Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I've never buck hunted. I always just hunted for meat and, uh, just for fun last year, I got some free mineral. So I put it out and I put a camera over it and I think I left it till like the end of December and like a few does started using it, but it wasn't, you know, they didn't really mess it up. And I went back there, uh, sometime in the middle of the summer. And I mean, there was a hole in the ground (laughs) Mm -hmm. from where all, I mean, Maybe it was those three does after a long time, but it seemed like a ton of, of at least other animals or deer mm-hmm. had just really went to it after, um, after the season really got cold. And like I said, I, it's not a place that I frequent very much unless I'm deer hunting, but it just, they did hit it a lot harder after season. But, um, so like when you're scouting after, after season what what do you look for and like what tools do you take and all that yeah i guess i didn't i didn't fully answer that kind of got on a rant there but okay so um postseason scouting you know obviously just like anybody else we're we're checking our cameras we're seeing who's alive um kind of seeing who's going to be on our radar for the next year and then we start implementing like i said the feed and the mineral because this is the most important time for them to need it and then once they start dropping the sheds we dive into shed hunting obviously you can learn a lot from shed hunting but from what i've learned shed hunting too um there's particular areas that you need to focus on for shed hunting to prepare yourself for the following year so um obviously we probably all have our own sanctuaries areas that we don't intrude on that we don't hunt during the rut or maybe if you do hunt them you hunt the fringes so looking for internal scrapes um a few uh you know traveling corridor stuff like that the thing that gets me um a little bit mixed up in the late season is all these bucks are grouped up these does are grouped up so there's still rubbing going on there's still heavy trails that you know big groups of does or bucks are using that doesn't pertain to rut hunting right so for us moving forward, you know, when we get into our sanctuaries, the areas that we don't touch much only during shed season, we look on the outskirts of those areas for internal scrapes, you know, right on the edge of things that maybe we overlooked. And what we've learned, and, and it is different for, you know, it's not like we're going out and grinding on public ground. I have a lot of respect for people that do right. hunt public ground and, and the information that they have to go you know, use moving forward. For us, we've been hunting the same farms for, you know, however many years. So it's a little bit different for us, and we're very fortunate for those things. So you still learn new things on those particular farms, but a majority of our stands are still in the same locations that they have been for the last 10 years. So we take the information, you know, our camera information more serious than anything. What were our bucks doing in October and November that we're looking for the following year. So 
making our, sure they're alive and, and yeah what they did what they did through that time frame that you need to target them at and mm-hmm. you know a lot of that information may not pertain to public clean guys or maybe uh, smaller parcels of ground even though depending on your neighbor smaller parcels of ground of ground can be very predictable depending on you know like that buck i was showing you earlier that's 80 acres that deer had done the same thing for three years I didn't have a lot of history didn't have a lot of time with him no encounters but he showed up late season and i knew it so um uh, it it just depends i don't i don't try to get too wrapped up in postseason information other than the fact of who's alive what did our camera show throughout the season you know who's still on camera and making sure that what they need is in front of them right so. are there any advantages to scouting right after the season other than maybe just knowing that uh, the buck you've been chasing and, and didn't get it uh, is still alive or, or some of those three-year-olds you're letting mm-hmm. go to the other the next year. Is there anything else that you think yeah, is advantageous? I mean, um, absolutely. As ground changes, changes so um, like our main piece, uh, it was logged a couple years ago, and that drastically changed where our deer were bedding and where they were moving, how they were moving. So, yeah, you can you can definitely learn a lot postseason. Um, it's not that it's useless, but I don't try to get too tied up in the trails and the tracks and the rubs and, you know. So I'll counter that just for the public land guy and those guys that, for me, you know, I don't own a, a bunch of tracks of land, so I'm not able to, to rely on the fact that I'm going to be able to hunt that the next year. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times I'm either getting permission or I'm going to have to hunt public. Yeah. What I've noticed, a tool that I've noticed that, that helps me this time of the year, like the day after the season's out, because in my opinion, you don't want to be pushing the limits the day like January 15th. You mm-hmm. don't want to because mm-hmm. you could be on public scouting and some guy sitting in a tree stand and you push that buck straight under his tr- stand, and, and boom, he, he's down. But right. the tools that I think that are, are important this time of year is apps like Onyx. Oh, yeah. You can literally record how you walk. So if you're taking those trails mm-hmm. that you're talking about, and you just, you and a buddy, link on the same app. And you can mark them out. You just walk all the trails, and you see where they connect and, and how where they connect to, where they're going, and uh, where they're coming from. And, and that kind of stuff, I think, you know, and you relate it to the, what you're actually seeing out there. You right. know what I mean? You're seeing scrapes. You're seeing rubs. Are they fresh? Are they old? Are, do they relate back to the rut? Or are they like, okay, they're here right now. Do we kick up a bunch of deer? You know, stuff like that. And, and what food is there and, and all that kind of good stuff. So I think that is a good tool to use in the late season if you're a public land guy. Absolutely. Um, or a permission guy that, that is constantly getting new spots. And I think, too, depending on your herd numbers, um, it seems like some scrapes are opened up longer or throughout different periods of the year. So um, if you do notice some late season scrapes that keep getting hit or you have a camera over them by chance and – a lot of times that may be something that that does roll around that following year okay right. that you know in this He's particular area this time these, of year yeah, and these, and i can always hit him yeah okay right on um do you relate what you see in the woods this time of year to any part of deer season and do you have any stories using <clears throat> postseason scouting that directly correlated to success you had the following year or or 
Oh man. Um, or or maybe Justin or Mitch. You know, uh, any anybody on your crew that you've you guys have been like, okay, uh, a certain mature buck wasn't doing what the rest of the deer usually do on your property, so you had to like change the game a little bit. Anything that you know? Yeah. So, hmm, that's a that's a good question. Or even even like like you were saying, if if one's hitting a uh, scrape, you know, late in the season, and he it's not getting hit, you know, the rest of the year. Have you ever killed one like that, or or do you know anybody who has? Or so I'll use the last three deer, uh, my last year, Justin's, and then uh, Mitch's this past year. So, we'll start with mine, the wishbone buck. I walked him in January. He was using a bedding area that, you know, was our sanctuary. So, that deer, um, the previous years, he would not. we wouldn't have any velvet of him. He would show up in October, and then he would stick. And I ended up killing him on the food plot where I had January encounters all the way through the end of the season. Um, you know... Even though we didn't find a shed there, we found a shed on the far east end of our farm, but yet, you know, I ended up harvesting him on the food plot where I had all the encounters where we knew he was using. So it was kind of weird. That I can't say that uh, that I killed him because of postseason uh, scouting, but it was cool to know how he was using our farm at different times of year. Then um, Justin's last deer, the deer he called DT, um, that deer as he got older he was always visible as he got older it seemed like he got more visible and he shot him on his very first hunt i think it was october 4th on the west end of our farm we didn't have a single trail cam picture of him on the west end of our farm that particular year but we knew that he would transition to that side based off of previous years uh october november december it didn't matter he was in there and then mitch's deer uh i think we think he was about eight and a half it was the first time in his entire life that he used uh, our home farm as his home. So, I don't. That's one question that uh, that we're very uncertain of is what causes these deer to go to specific areas at different times of the year, and it doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason. You know, we've had deer shot off our farm or deer that were on our farm that were harvested two miles away, and we've had deer like DT that we would see him all the time. I think Justin shot him on his ninth encounter with that deer, you know, so it was like he never left an 80-acre section of timber. So it's I hard. If, I guess if we knew the answer, we'd all be killers. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and and, and that, that information's hard. Um, you know, I don't know. It, that, that's a good question. I don't. I don't think that any of our late season, post season scouting has contributed to the deer that we've harvested, other than the simple fact of we knew what they were doing late season. We picked a shed up. We knew that they were going in that general area. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, they seem like they either did the same exact thing the following year, or they did something so different that it caught us off guard. It was it's kind of weird. But is there just <clears throat> Um, maybe not something you've experienced in the past, but something that you've that you look at when you if you do any winter postseason scouting, you're like, okay, I got to come back here in the summer and check up on it and and see if this is still something that's being worked or used. The only thing I could think of would be a big internal scrapes and um, 
Excuse me. The what we've what we found. So I don't I don't know what the plant is called. We call it natural grapevine. It's a, a real viney plant that grows in fence rows. But we've take the, we've taken those and we've started zip tying them into our internal scrapes and our big main scrapes. I mean, you know when you get to an internal scraper uh, scrape that every single deer is using is huge there may be the size of a, a, a car hood or something you know and uh we've kind of honed in on those areas for scouting so i guess you know when we do find those big 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 scrapes that you can tell are hit all year long we make a mental note okay we need to have a camera on this early right. next year and it's clockwork. You start catching your scrapes along the outside of the fields. They don't hit those internal scrapes right off the rip, and then it's a light switch. Yeah, I've noticed. You know, you you hear about you hear about them. I ne- I never really have seen them except this year. Scrapes in September. I I rarely see them. I mean, our season in Missouri starts September fifteenth. Mm-hmm. I rarely see any scrapes being opened up. I see licking branches being used, but I rarely see any scrapes being opened up in that early September time frame. This year is the first time I've ever, I found one in a place I probably, you know, would have never guessed. It was in some thick stuff, but I was just kind of scouting my way in, looking, checking out early sign for October and ran into one. Yeah. Kind of look at the draw. I don't know, have you had any uh, early season September scrapes that have opened up? And Yeah. Um, so what we've noticed on you know our main farms are the farms that we hunt the most it seems like the more the more bucks it doesn't matter the age structure but like for instance this year was a different year for us we had you know and this is just a guess it's an estimate if you will but we feel like we had 12 deer that were probably three years of age or even four or older in velvet constantly using our farm and those scrapes they started popping up really early when we would do velvet scouting they were in velvet making scrapes in the years past our cameras were dead all the way through you know august first of september even middle to end of september and then it was like a light switch all our mature deer showed up and they started getting very territorial, and our scrapes weren't near as active until October. Mm. So it was, if to us, it was a little bit of an eye opener. It's like, okay, if you have yearlings, two year old, three year old, four year old, five, six, whatever, if you have an abundance of them using this, and it makes sense, if you have them using your farm early on, they're, they're going to start setting their tone a little bit until the big guy comes in and claims it, you know? So, that's what we noticed. We had a lot more bucks using our cameras or, you know, on our cameras earlier this year. And then it, as October rolled around, we lost a lot of those deer. Hmm. They're starting to trickle back a little bit, the ones that made it. But in the year in the years past, it seemed like it was depressing pulling our cameras in September until the middle of October because it was like, where are they at? And then it was a light switch. <laughs> They're all in there. Yeah. And then we started picking up a lot more sign at that you know particular time are you guys do you guys have heavy ag where you're at um yeah it's probably 50 50 the reason i ask is 
uh, Travis, I know you got to go. Yeah, so. I got to get out of here. But, dude, I learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah, nice no problem, buddy. Travis. We'll yep. be seeing you soon. Yeah, I'll be seeing you soon. Cool, man. Thanks. See you, bud. Yep, thank you, guys. Um, what I was going to ask, though, was do you notice that that sign is opening up earlier with different crop rotations? Nope. No, it's nope. pretty well the same. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it has anything to do with crops, obviously they're hitting soybeans at that particular time. The beans are still green, so... You may pick up a little bit more sign around those areas, but they're still using our cornfields. The edge of our cornfields is traveling corridors, so they're still going to and from soybean fields and, and making scrapes along the way to and from. Okay. So I think it all depends on who's homebody to your farm and if they summer in a different location. Uh, that's what we've come up with, probably, you know, for the most part. One thing I'll touch on uh, about. My previous question was about, you know, things that we would check in winter postseason and, and come back to in the summer, I think is a, a big thing is white oaks and red oaks, you know. Um, if you can find a good good stand of white oaks, red oaks in the area that was dropping good, you're, you're looking at the trails, coming and going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a spot I would definitely key in on in the summertime just because not every year those those oaks are going to produce what they did maybe the previous year so correct um that's that's one thing maybe for those those public land guys out there that that you know don't everything's changing yeah it seems like um you know just because you see an oak stand doing well one year you you better go in 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 that summertime and and check it yeah to make sure they're actually producing anything and that you know that's a good point and and it is something that we overlook or that we don't take advantage of if you will but um I don't know the rhyme or reason to a good acorn crop or, or not. You know, it seems I think like it's a late freeze or something. Yeah, you I have to get like some biologist on here or something. <laughs> that's something I need to research for sure. But um, we don't take advantage of those opportunities. You know, we, early season we hunt. Uh, we still do the same thing like we do at all times. We just hunt the cold fronts over a food source, oats. Uh, you know, sometimes they hit turnips early. Um, we take advantage of the green beans, uh, the green soybeans early on, but I think if we did get aggressive and get into the fringes of our timber, um, there's no doubt in my mind that we would take advantage of that. Uh, for instance, Justin's deer, the DT buck that he shot, that was the first deer that we seen that night. He came up through the timber, um, slowly making his way through the timber, munching on acorns. We watch him bed down early in the evening. And uh, he got up early and, you know, he got up early enough and made his way to the edge of the field. And Justin was fortunate enough to get a shot at him. Or no, excuse me, that was that misfit deer. But, um, yeah, I, I think if if we did pay attention and we wanted to intrude in, into the edge of the timber, I think there's opportunities to be had there that we, we for one, don't take advantage of. You know, we're a little bit more cautious early on. Well, so. you guys, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you guys have a system. You know what I mean? You you guys know if you wait and in the right times you're gonna be you're gonna be able to capitalize on those bucks. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you maybe did you pulled a move like I'm talking about, where you know you you go into those acorns and yeah, he just happens su- to be bed and close. You had success on that this year. Yeah, yeah. I did. You, I, got, I, you got aggressive and that was a little bit of luck too, because that was the first time I'd ever been out there, so I wasn't too concerned about pushing anything off because i didn't know what was on there now you, you know had a I mean? you had a you had two shooters 
in bow range at night, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah that, like I said, luck plays out. I was kind of, I was kind of, I was, I guess, mixed up, if you will, because I was, I was picturing you shooting the other one, right? Oh, I, yeah, I was, I was fixing to, but uh, there was a, I, I, uh, yeah. So I when I was bring, watching the okay. video, I was thinking, oh, okay, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you took this advantage one of the one in front of you, and, and they were both great deer, um, and that's cool, you know, it, that opens up a, a totally different topic for us, and. And that's we're probably missing out on opportunities that you took advantage of because we don't get aggressive at that time. And moving forward, that's something that you're gonna say, "Hey, I've had success on this. I'm going for it." Well, I'm I'm also in the same boat as you. Uh, I've got a little 17 acre piece, which I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about. But uh, I've got this little 17 acre piece, and I'm trying to set it up mm-hmm. to make it like this whitetail paradise. And uh, you know. I'm going to hunt like you guys. I'm going to have this. I mean, it's 17 acres, so you, you really got to hunt the fringes on this. But I totally get it. You know, mm-hmm. you capitalize on the right times. And I've had this property for a year and a half. I'm understanding it. I'm understanding when the right times to go in and, and take advantage of that property is. So the, the cool thing is your 17 acres can be so powerful depending on what goes around it and how you interact with your 17 acres. If if your 17 acres doesn't have the pressure that the adjacent properties have, you could shine like crazy every year because you learn how to hunt it, when to hunt it, how, you know, when to take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you. So, oh, it's cool. And, you know, it, it was, I'm sure, I'm sure super humbling and rewarding for you to harvest a great deer on 17 acres. You got, you know, I mean, it looked like you said a little bit of luck went into it. Oh, but no. Your, your I, first time out. This, that, that scenario was a permission spot. Oh, okay. But the, the okay. 17 acres, I uh, have yet to harvest a deer on it. I ha- had some opportunities. They just, um, I was either taking a buddy or. So, how many acres was the spot I, that you harvested? 54. So, it's still, still a, a fairly smaller partial of ground that, yeah. You still, you know, you're still limited on what you could do and, and, you know, it wasn't like you were hunting over a, a big food source or, you know, it, it was cool. You you took advantage of the opportunity in front of you. Absolutely. And, uh, shoot. any, any other tricks or, uh, tips maybe that you have for postseason, whether it's scouting or uh, anything um, related to the postseason? For us, postseason is getting very, very picky. Um, and it, you know, it's whatever you desire, you know, what you want to wrap your tag around. Some people go ahead and take advantage of filling a tag. And uh, for us, it's that that deer has a, a really high percentage that you're going to see in the following year. So it's hard to do sometimes, but bite the bullet. Take the shot, you know, see if uh, see if he's going to make it, what he's going to turn into late, late season. Uh, for us, it's it's just as easy for us to watch it and hope that, it, you know, we see it the next year. Uh, you know, obviously if they make it through rifle season, that's one thing. And then if they make it through muzzleloader season, you got a small window to, to harvest it with a bow yet. But we like to sit back and watch it. Um, enjoy the work that you put in. If you put in a food source, um, if you do habitat improvement of any sort, it's very rewarding to sit back and know these deer are using this particular area because of the work that I've done in all the other months. So, you know, I find that very cool. I'm, I'm just introducing myself to that aspect of yeah. hunting and, and I'm excited for it. You know, I've got a couple guys that are going to come out and, 
talk to me about what they think I should do with the place and, mm-hmm. and see what might even have one of them on the podcast, you know, but I, I totally get where you're coming from is it's like you've manipulated this environment and, and you're going to take advantage of it because these deer are using it. Yeah. And you know, don't get so caught up in, uh, you have to have success. If you're, if you're only putting in the work and you're not having success out of the piece of property, um, you're going to run yourself dry. You have to have success. You have to enjoy it and you have to set goals and achieve those goals. You can't, you can't do something because of what somebody else is doing. Do or what you want to do. Unrealistic yeah. goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Do yeah. what you want to do and take a stepping stone and achieve those goals. Cause it's going to be super rewarding and it's going to, it's going to make you set a higher target for the following year. So I would, I would do what you want to do on your 17, set goals and achieve them and, doesn't matter what somebody else tells you it's it's all your work and what you see you know so yeah well man i i appreciate you coming on to the podcast dude. it was nice meeting you and and yeah. i know that you guys you guys are killing it right now with you know midwest whitetail and everything and you know you guys have a way of doing things and it's successful yeah and you i know that just from talking to you in the last week you guys got a lot of uh a lot of stuff in the future coming up too. Yeah, and so. you know, I, I, I appreciate you asking me to come out and talk. Uh, I'm sure that uh, I, I know. I know I don't know near as much, but if you can go to the woods every day and learn, uh, it's a success. And for me, I was in your shoes at one point in time. We were just starting. We were getting rolling. I know that you're going to be successful. You've done a great job of. Uh, putting information out there, bringing people uh, to the light of the hunting community. And that's what's fun is uh, we got to sit down and have a great talk. we got to meet each other, move forward. And and that's the fun part about the hunting world is you can set the other things aside. The inches, it don't matter. You know, the deer you kill, it doesn't matter. You, you know, we had a, had a great conversation, and we both got to learn things from each other. And that's that's the fun part is, is take what you want to do and run with it because nobody's holding you back. Absolutely, so. man. Well, thanks again, man, and uh, for you guys listening, I appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.